0: Hello and welcome to another episode of The the History History Sisters.
1: Sisters. My name's Katie. I'm Sophie. And we are a sister duo from Germany. In this podcast, we talk about well-known yet unknown speeches,
0: their presenters, and their stroke context. And if you have already listened to some episodes or like this one, you can check us out on Instagram. At History Sisters Pod. And if you want to support this podcast consider leaving us a review or giving us a five-star rating that would be great and um, subscribe to this podcast as so new episodes land right in your feed Exactly. Um, today it's my
1: turn to talk about the speech, and it's actually not really a well-known speech. Um, it's from Pope Urban II, and it's the Urban II speech. It doesn't really have a name, that's why it's named after the Pope's name. I'm really excited, I had so much fun researching this, so let's yeah, go. let's go. I can't wait. <laughs> Hello everybody, it's Katie here for your weekly disclaimer. First things first, as always, please remember that everything we say is just our opinion, and we do not mean to hurt or attack anyone by anything we say. If we somehow did, please, please tell us either via our Instagram, which is at History Sisters Pod, or via email, which is the History Pod at gmail.com. Both of this is also linked in the episode notes. Then a little warning for this episode, there will be some information and some details about bloodshed, violence and war. If you cannot hear that or cannot listen to that, please don't, for your own safety. Then another thing, in this episode I had so many information in my head that during the historical context I just rambled on. aka I spoke very very fast and not very emotionally invested. That does not in any way mean that I disregard the suffering those communities have been through or that I don't feel emotionally attached to it and I know this is a longer episode but stick with it it's a good one I promise you lastly I wanted to note that this will be the last episode for season one then we will have a little bit of a summer break meaning that for like four to five weeks there won't be any episodes but then we're gonna start with season two and you do not want to miss out on that it's gonna be so great you're gonna want to stay around for it so without further ado, let's just get right into
0: it. Let's go. I don't know who Pope Urban is. I've never heard of him.
1: So before we actually talk about Pope Urban and the actual historical um, context, I wanted to start out with a little context of the speech itself, mm-hmm. which I normally do right before I go into the speech. But this time, I, um, it just kind of matched better if I just put it like this. So just go with it (laughs) Okay, so this is the speech that launched the first crusades Which is the historical context that we're gonna dive into deeper later on Four years after this speech, Jerusalem was captured by the Christians In a bloodbath that stunned the Muslim world Because almost every inhabitant of Jerusalem was killed The Christians held Jerusalem for 87 years Until it was recaptured by Saladin Which is um, just another religious group In 1094 or 1095, it's not really exactly sure. Um, Alexios uh, Komnenos. Okay, so before I continue, in this episode, there are going to be so many names that I'm probably going to pronounce wrong. Um, I really apologize in advance for that, but I just, I I can't master them. I'm really sorry. (laughs) Okay, so, in 1094 or 1095, Alexios Komnenos, um, the Byzantine Emperor, sent to the Pope and asked for aid from the West against the Seljuk Turks, who had already taken nearly all of Asia Minor from him. So, a quick um, little explanation what the Byzantine Empire is. So, this empire is also referred to as the Eastern Roman Empire which was the continuation of the Roman Empire in its eastern provinces during um, late antiquity and the Middle Ages. So this is kind of after the Western Roman Empire fell, um, it, it survived this, and during most of its existence, this empire was the most powerful economic, cultural and military force in Europe. Yeah. And it had its capital in Constantinople, which is a very important city when we come later to the Crusades. So the speech was held on November 27th in 1095 at the Council of Clermont in France by Pope Urban,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who was the first French Pope. I'm oh. going to talk more about him in a second. Urban addressed a, cr- a great crowd and urged all to go to the aid of the Greeks and recover Palestine from the rule of the Muslims. Okay, so now when I researched the speech I was completely everything was fine, but when I wanted to record the speech I ran into a little bit of a problem because there is actually not a preserved or restored transcript or anything from the speech. So however there are five different versions of the speech. Written by um, men who were most likely present and heard him. But they were written
0: years later after the speech was given. As usual from documents of that time.
1: Exactly. And the problem is that here, these five speeches differ widely from another. So it's not like you have minor things that differ, but very much the whole speech. Oh. The, like, ground or main thought behind is this the same in all of these, but it's just worded very differently. So I'm gonna tell you a little bit about the speeches themselves and then obviously tell you which I read so that you can understand. Okay, and these five versions likely reflect much more clearly what later authors think Urban should have said than what he actually said, which is, again, very normal for that time period. We're talking about the medievals, and it's very hard to actually get decent paperwork or, like, decent sources. At least all five versions... Agree that Pope Urban spoke out to common people as well as church leaders and nobles.
0: Okay.
1: Also, they agree that the crowd was deeply moved by his powerful speech. Mm-hmm. If you want to really evaluate Urban's motives, it is better to um, go through his four letters that he wrote to different kingdoms, mm-hmm. kind of. Um, so these were to... The Flemish, the Bolognese, the Valombiosa, and the Counts of Catalonia. Mm-hmm. They were they are dated from ten ninety five to ten ninety nine. So they were in various mm-hmm. years. While the first three regard the Crusades, Crusade, the letter to Catalonia encouraged them to keep on a battle of their own against the Moors in the other direction of Europe. Yeah. Um. It is disputed whether the famous slogan God wills it or it is the will of God In fact was established as a rallying cry During the council You will understand that when you hear the speech mm-hmm. That I recorded um, Which is the Robert the Monk version mm-hmm. Who put this um, In the mouths of the people Or in the mouth of uh, Pope Urban II But it is also possible that the slogan Was added later on as a form of propaganda
0: mm-hmm.
1: Um, the focus on Jerusalem was actually only ever mentioned once in Urban's letters. He rather often phrased it as uh, its goal as liberating the church as a whole or the Eastern churches generally. So mm-hmm. he never really, well he once, but he never, uh, other than that, he never really like addressed Jerusalem as its goal and the determination where he wants to go. Mm-hmm. Um, then it is also still l- disputed what Pope Urban's motives were. There are Many different theories. I picked out three that mm-hmm. I fi- found quite interesting. Okay, so some believe that Urban wished for the unification of the Eastern and Western churches. <clears throat> mm-hmm. That um, they got into a little bit of a um, the decades earlier and then they were split. Others believe that Urban saw this as an opportunity to gain le- legitimacy as the Pope. Because during his council, there was um, it was the time of anti popes, and during his council, it was anti pope Clement the Third, which I'm also going to talk a little bit about later on. Um, so <clears throat> he kind of also could have seen this as a way to legitimate his papacy. The third theory is that Urban felt threatened by the Muslim incursions into Europe and saw this as a way to unite the christian world into a unified defense so it's kind of like the first theory but a little bit more with the focus on his um feeling scared or threatened
0: mm-hmm.
1: okay as i already said i read the robert de monk version just in case you want to look it up there are, um if you just go to wikipedia do you can read all the names of the other speeches um, as I already said, I can't really pronounce those names, so I decided not to put them <laughs> in the episode because I would just like screw it up. So just search for it if you are very interested in that. Okay, so now that you heard like kind of the groundwork of the speech itself, we're gonna talk about Pope Urban II, which I've mentioned a bunch of times because this episode is about him. So. Pope Urban II um, was born circa 1035 and died on July 29th in 1099. He is also known as Odo of Châtillon or Otho de, de Lagerie. Um, and he was the head of the Catholic Church and ruler of the Papal States from March 12th, um, 1088 to his death, so around 11 years. I'm going to refer to him as Urban, but I mean Pope Urban II. Um, So Urban was or is native of France and is a descendant of a noble family in Châtillon-sur-Marne. This is also why you call him Odo of Châtillon. Um, Before his papacy, he was the abbot of Cluny and bishop of Ostia. And I decided not to include any of the details of this time period in his life because it's kind of boring and it's besides the point for our episode today um as pope he dealt with various conflicts one of them i already mentioned earlier is anti-pope clément III. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so for context An anti-pope is a person who In opposition to the lawful pope Makes a significant attempt To occupy the position of Bishop of Rome and leader of the Catholic Church Mm -hmm. So it's like There are two people who claim to be The legitimate pope And Pope Urban II was The lawfully Instated pope And Clément was not the lawfully Instated pope Mm -hmm. However, in times it is kind of hard to tell who's the pope and who's the anti-pope. For our time period, though, that's not the case. Yeah. So at um, times between the third and the mid-fifth cent, mid-fifteenth centuries, anti-popes were supported by important fractions within the church itself and by secular rulers. Anti-pope Clement III was anti-pope during the reign of Pope Urban II and all, uh, three other popes. And he was um, supported by Henry the Fourth, and um, there was a whole lot of battle between those two. And anti-Pope Clement the Third was very violent and really wanted, like he put everything out there to become legitimate the Pope. Um, I didn't really dig deep into this because, again, it's not really important for what we're talking about today. He also dealt with infighting various Christian nations and the First Crusade, that is our main topic today, which was from 1095 till 1099. Um, he promised forgiveness and pardon for all of the past sins of those who would fight to reclaim the Holy Land from the Muslims. And this pardon would also apply to those who would fight the Muslims in Spain. Yeah. So what I earlier addressed with Catalonia. Um, <clears throat> this is a very big deal, or this was a very big deal back then, because this was a time where it was very hard to get rid of your sins from the church. You had to pay a lot of money to get that done. So this seemed like an easy way out, and yet it would still help. The Pope and what he wanted Also something that is kind of in his Responsibility Is that he set up the modern day Roman Korea Which <clears throat> compromises the administrative Institutions of the Holy See And the central body through which the affairs Of the Catholic Church are conducted So it's kind of like Basically a, the construct Of the Catholic Church and it's like Laws and stuff like that He kind of set this up with Wow or he was very included in making it. Um, The Roman Korea acts in the Pope's name and with his authority for the good and for the service of particular churches and it also provides central organization for the church to advance it op- its objectives. Another thing that's kind of very unique for Pope Urban II, well not unique, there are a lot of, or not a lot, but some other popes that had this honor, but Pope Urban was actually beatified on July 14th in 1881 by Pope Leo XIII. So for everyone who's not really familiar with um, Catholic vocabulary, uh, the beatification is a recognition accorded by the Catholic Church of a deceased person's entrance into heaven and its capacity to intercede on behalf of individuals who pray in his or her name. So basically, if you get this beatification, you're a holy figure, kind of. So it's kind of like becoming a saint? Yeah. Like, if you get beatified, you possess the title of blessed before your name. Oh, okay. So this is a very big honor, and this was done 800 years after he became pope, kind of, around yeah. 800 years. Oh. So um, you can see that this is not just a decision that just goes like this. Obviously. It's something that is
0: debated about a lot, and... yeah. I don't know many but I think Mother Teresa. Was
1: yeah. And I think there aren't s so I, I I don't know, I think there is like one or two other popes that got this honor, but not many people. So this is something that really like makes him yeah. stand out in the line of the popes. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. Um from the outset Urban had to reckon with the presence of Guibert, who's the former bishop. Of Ravenna, who held Rome as the anti-Pope Clement III. So this is actually his real name. So Clement III is actually... His real name is Guibert. Yeah. Uh, Urban mostly ignored Clement III and kept away from him. He tried to not engage in too many battles because uh, he just didn't saw a sense in them, yeah. which kind of there isn't really. So a silent treatment. In the end, he actually won over <laughs> England's support against the imperial Pope in Rome, which was a very big deal because wow. England and the Catholic Church had been not on very good terms before Urban II came so this was not only in his kind of fight with Clement III but also in just the general situation of the church, a very big step Urban II died on July uh, 1099 which which was 14 days after the fall of Jerusalem to the crusaders but before news of the event had reached them So the main important Historical context for this is obviously the first crusades that I already mentioned a bunch of times now. I think I already said this earlier, but they were from 1096 to 1099. So, um, the first crusades um, were the first of a series of religious wars that were initiated, supported and at times directed by the Latin church in the medieval period. Its initial objective was the recovery of the Holy Land from Islamic rule. I already said this when I talked about the speech itself, um, its initial goal was to retake Jerusalem and all the land surrounding it because there was an Islamic rule over this uh, land. And it's still a lot of um, like fighting and disputes going on there. The reason for this is pretty much also that there are different religions and ethnicities that are that live there and it's always, like, debated. Yes. The earliest initiative for the first crusade began in 1095 when the Byzantine Emperor Alexius i requested military support from the Council of Piacenza, I already talked about this um, earlier. Um, this was followed a year later by the Council of Clermont, during which Pope Urban II supported the Byzantine request for military assistance and gave the speech that we're talking about today.
0: Um,
1: In the speech, he urged faithful Christians to undertake an armed pilgrimage to Jerusalem. This call was met with an incredible enthusiastic response that went across all social classes in Western Europe and was very not expected from anyone um, Including Pope Urban II himself. The first people who started to go on this pilgrimage were actually mobs of predominantly poor Christians who were numbering in the thousands, and well, duh, they couldn't pay for getting their sins exactly, and they were led by a very enthusiastic and charismatic um, priest named Peter the Hermit, who oh, was I also of him. yeah, who was also a French priest, um, like Pope Urban II. And they were the first to respond, and they were the first to start to travel. So this has become known as the People's Crusade, and they passed through Germany and indulged in wide-raging anti-Jewish activities and massacres. And these were not just some anti-Jewish activities, this is actually went to ex- an extend where some historians even deemed this as the first Holocaust, which is something very big to say, and it definitely has a reason this was incredibly harmful, and it's something that's always forgotten in when telling this story of the first Crusades. It was like everybody who's not a Christian like me is the same, correct, and they're bad, yeah, that's kind that's of weird. the thought process behind this at least some people say. This again is a heavily debated topic because no one really knows what their motives were because there's no, no, no paperwork of any of these people who did these raids or these um, attacks and actions against the Jews. No one, like, wrote anything down. so They it's... probably weren't even able
0: to write or read. C-
1: correct. <laughs> and if they were, I mean, there were obviously priests and a lot of kings and knights and stuff like that with them on, on under this mob. There's not just poor people who were uneducated. There were a lot of very educated people under this. There were a lot of uh, clerical figures who yeah. took part in these activities. And they went to an extent that... Uh, there are stories told from, like, one Jewish mother killing her kids because she doesn't want to see them get killed by someone else. Oh my god. Or, so the Jewish rabbi of Mainz, um, also killed himself because he doesn't want it to be killed and he knew he was going to. Um, a lot of, or not a lot of, but some cities, like some bishops of cities, but as well some kings or like leaders of cities, uh, t- try to, uh, protect the Jews. And like try to um, say no, you you yeah. can't come here and stuff like that. That worked in some cities and some it doesn't, it, it didn't. It's actually something so, so terrible and there's so much that there's just details that like oh are so cruel that I just didn't want to get into this on this um, podcast more than I already did. So um, as you can already kind of like see from this, this this mob was pretty uncontrolled and very aggressive. And um, not only did they fight against Jewish and basically everyone who was not a Christian like them, they also fought against their own allies because they didn't know who their (laughs) allies were. So they um, kind of started to fight the people of Alexios Komnenos, who mm-hmm. actually asked them for help. Oh, great. So he was very, very pissed. And when it came to the second, the actual crusaders, the princess crusaders, it, it, uh, the princess crusade, as it is also known, um, he was limited on giving them help because he just experienced, or just uh-huh. but like a year earlier, experienced what those people did. And he did not want anything like this to happen again. It is believed... Because they were uncontrolled, they were also very undisciplined and therefore they lost a lot of fights or they starved, they um, died from thirst or anything like that. It is believed that not even 10% of this army came back um, or like survived the battles. So not even 10% of these people came back alive.
0: Yeah, probably or, most of them died during travel and not even in the battle.
1: Exactly. Um, not even, did not come back, but also did not go, were not able because they were already dead or so hurt or injured that they just stayed wherever they were. 10%, not even 10% of these um, joined the crusade, which was yeah. happening one year later. <laughs> and those of who joined the crusade one year later... Probably all of them died in that crusade, yeah. so they kind of... You could probably say only, like, 1% ever got yeah. back home from this crusade because they were just so undisciplined, yeah. uncontrolled. No one had any clue what they were actually doing. And even though this this priest was a very charismatic person, he had no, no war or, like, any fights, yeah. like, knowledge whatsoever. He and took I- a knight with him who led the other half of this, like thousands yeah. of people and they were better off for a little know. bit of a time but then the people just didn't want to listen to this leader anymore because they didn't believe that he was actually supposed to be their leader oh. but they rather wanted to go back to the priest and the I, I don't remember what his name was but this other leader just said well if we go back to him we're even more in control and we are so vulnerable because we're such a huge group and we don't know what we're doing And then people were very mad at him. And in the end, he died in a battle. And it is very unknown whether actually one of his people stabbed him or killed him.
0: I mean, I guess another factor was that usually, like, everybody had to bring their own, like, weapons, clothing, and so on. And usually only the knights were actually from, like, the aristocracy and were trained and had horses and had actually, like, some protective gear and swords and stuff. They had stuff to fight with. The others, who were, like, I don't know, farmers... They maybe just brought a shovel and yeah. that was their weapon. I mean, duh, they couldn't defend themselves and they couldn't really do anything. So. They did nothing. They were super vulnerable. It ended up in barely
1: any one of them yeah. surviving. The emperor was very mad at those people still because obviously the first crusade that came kind of tried to destroy him, even though they wanted to help him or they were supposed to help him. Princess Crusade, they marched into Anatolia and captured Nikia in June. 1097 so these are just other cities in um this byzantine empire where this emperor let's talk about the actual crusade so um pope urban ii like wanted this crusade to happen like a little bit afterwards late summer in april 1096 he Mm -hmm. wanted this to start but this people's crusade they just started immediately after hearing the speech kind of well, about a month later because they had to like gather But this princess crusade, which was actually supposed to be the real crusaders They started in 1096, which was when they were supposed to start in like, August or something mm-hmm. um, So these were all members of like high nobility and their followers
0: mm-hmm.
1: And they arrived at Constantinople between November and April the following year and they were a large mob led by European princes. So, in conclusion, they were a lot better disciplined, a lot better, like, organized. They were trained. Correct. <laughs> and they, they um, arrived at Constantinople, which, if you remember, is the capital of the Byzantine em- Empire. But, as I already said, he was very skeptical. And that was had a very good reason, because some of these European princes wanted more land or more power. He made a deal with them that they he would only help them and like get them aid if they would promise him to give back all the land that they recaptured from the okay. Turks who actually took Komneno's land in the first place. Yeah. And they all promised but one who said that he wouldn't harm the empire itself which was kind of sketchy but okay there was all, always one of the princes or one of the leaders who kind of like stepped out of the row but it wasn't always the same so it was kind of hard to really detect who was the rotten one here yeah. Um, but yeah so he was kind of not wrong about it in the end uh, but then he needed them too So exactly so he kind of couldn't really do anything about it while they were marching through Anatolia, the crusaders suffered starvation, thirst, and disease. And um, because the the people that they were fighting against, they burned everything down. And that is like they, they didn't have anything. And um, so thousands of men and horses died, and that was very tragic as well. Then Jerusalem was actually reached in June of 1099, so we are already in the third year of going places and the city was taken by assault on June 7th to July 15th. It took them a whole month to like get into the city because the city walls were, like there were two walls, an outer wall and an inner wall. The outer wall they had destroyed pretty quickly but the inner wall was very resistant and they couldn't destroy it. They were just not able to do it and then they got sent some engineers. From back home, and they managed to build some things to destroy this inner wall. When they destroyed the inner walls and got into Jerusalem, and the defenders were massacred, and this is after the anti-Jewish attacks, probably the biggest bloodbath ever seen in Catholic Church history. (laughs) The head of the city, when he he got the message that they were arriving at Jerusalem, which was a month before they actually were able to get into the city he exiled he kind of could kind of say all the christians from his city so that there couldn't be a collapse of the city because someone from the inside was helping people from the outside so almost non-christians were harmed like from the jerusalem city itself obviously from the crusaders a lot um during this massacre and almost or not almost but also not really many jews because they managed to flee a lot of them actually managed to flee while the crusaders were attacking the city because for some reason they they managed to and the muslim population didn't i don't know why but i also think that the muslim population was kind of told to be there and to like Defend it because it was obviously their city kind of Although you have to say Jerusalem before this attack was a very open city And they did not
0: force anyone to convert to other religions So that was really... Sounds to me like there was a lot of harmony And everybody was just living there together How it is supposed to be if there's holy sites of different religions just live there together share the land and then who comes the europeans and what do they do they destroy it (laughs) exactly and then
1: um it is believed that not many of the actual inhabitants of the city survived this massacre you have to keep in mind that the crusaders weren't that many at that point, already a lot of had died in battles along the way because of hunger, or thirst, or diseases, or anything like that. So there were obviously a bunch of other things happening during this crusade, but I decided to stop here and not include more, obviously I did not stop at, I I kind of stopped at the end, which is where they reached Jerusalem, which was their actual goal, but I... Did not include battles along the way if you want to read into that there's a lot of information on the internet just go and search it's very very interesting but i thought i do not bore you for more than like 30 minutes or something so um (laughs) the last thing that i want to talk about is the aftermath of the crusade Mm-hmm. Um, so the aftermath was was that the majority of the Crusaders now considered their pilgrimage complete and returned home, and only 300 knights and around 2,000 infantry remained to actually defend Palestine. So, which was kind of the quest that they actually came for. Like that way they that come then come ask to help for or ask help for, so they were just like well yeah we recaptured Jerusalem so let us just go home. Those who arrived at home were like, heroes. praised as heroes obviously, and those who didn't make it to Jerusalem or came home earlier because there were a lot of people who just didn't have it and turned around on um during the pilgrimage were like, mocked and treated very badly. Also something that happened afterwards is that Baldwin, who was one of the leaders, was made the first Latin king of Jerusalem, Mm -hmm. um, which was the way it was for the next 87 years until Mm -hmm. it was recaptured by this other group. The reaction of the Islam, there is very limited written evidence, as there is in this period, uh, period of time, but what there is indicates that the crusade was barely even noticed. And this may be the result of a cultural misunderstanding leading to the Turks and Arabs not recognizing the crusade as a religiously motivated war, but rather as just another, like, piece of the Byzantine Empire empire that just wanted wanted its land back. Yeah. Um, this plus the fact that the islamic world remained divided between different rulers and had so much problems within itself and led to a no pan-islamic counterattack happening so they got away without basically any counterattack happening yeah. obviously along the way but after afterwards yeah not really um okay now i thought to myself the whole time okay now i know i i'm not really much into catholic church or any church in, actually, and I don't really, like, think about history of the churches and stuff, but one thing that I know is that it's kind of violence is not really appreciated within the church, so I was like, how does it go together that this war, with so many bloodshed, is supported and even, like, indicated by the church, and I did a little, like, research, and I thought about this, and I came to the conclusion that this war was supported by the church because it was seen as a holy war. And those holy wars were often very supported by the church, or always if they happened, and they happened a lot of times during the medieval period. Um, And the violence was supported because it was used to re the holy land. And this kind of comes from the Holy Roman Empire, of the or the time of the Holy Roman Empire, which is where all Christians had to be citizens, and all citizens had to fight against all the um, enemies of the empire. So that led to the, like, kind of linking of war in Catholic Church, or violence in Catholic Church, or church in general. This is kind of the historical background as to why this war was seen as something that was not only okay but necessary. You could obviously criticize so much about this. I'm not even gonna start. I already, I read so many different historians who like gave their opinion on this and it's really interesting. So if I speak, sparked a little bit of interest in you, go do your own research or watch some videos or listen to, I don't know, some historians talking about this time period because it's interesting and obviously it doesn't stop here like it goes on and on so now that I've talked almost uh, your ear off I think I'm gonna uh, let you listen to the speech again it's the Robert the Monk version if you want to listen to the other ones or read them go on the internet so have fun with it O race of Franks, race from across the mountains, race chosen and beloved by God, as shines forth in very many of your works, set apart from all nations by the situation of your country, as well as by your Catholic faith and the honour of the Holy Church. To you our discourse is addressed, and for you our exhortation is intended. We wish you to know what a grievous cause has led us to your country, what peril-threatening you and all the faithful has brought us. From the confines of Jerusalem and the city of Constantinople, a horrible tale has gone forth and very frequently has been brought to our ears, namely that a race from the kingdom of the Persians, an accursed race, a race utterly alienated from God, a generation forsooth, which has not directed its heart and has not entrusted its spirit to God, has invaded the lands of those Christians and has depopulated them by the sword, pillage and fire. It has led away a part of the captives into its own country and a part it has destroyed by cruel tortures. It has either entirely destroyed the churches of God or appropriated them for the rights of its own religion. They destroy the altars, after having defiled them with their uncleanness. They (laughs) circumcise the Christians, and the blood of the circumcision they either spread upon the altars or pour into the vases of the baptismal font. When they wish to torture people by a base death, they perforate their navels, and dragging forth the extremity of the intestines, bind it to a stake, Then with flogging, they lead the victims around until the viscera, having gushed, forth the victim falls prostrate upon the ground. Others they bind to a post and pierce with arrows. Others they compel to extend their necks and then, attacking them with naked swords, attempt to cut through the neck with a single blow. What shall I say of the abnormal rape of women? To speak of it is worse than to be silent. The kingdom of the Greeks is now dismembered by them and deprived of territory so vast in extent that it cannot be traversed in a march of two months. On whom therefore is the labor of avenging these wrongs and of recovering this territory incumbent, if not upon you, you upon whom above other nations God has conferred remarkable glory in arms, great courage, bodily activity and strength to humble the hairy scalp of those who resist you. Let the deeds of your ancestors move you and incite your minds to manly achievements. The glory and greatness of King Charles the Great and of his son Louis and of your other kings who have destroyed the kingdoms of the pagans and have extended in these lands the territory of the Holy Church. Let the holy sepulcher of the Lord our Saviour, which is possessed by unclean nations, especially inside you and the holy places which are now treated with ignominy and irreverently polluted with their filthiness. Almost valiant soldiers and descendants of invincible ancestors, be not degenerate, but recall the value of your progenitors. But if you are hindered by love of children, parents and wives, remember what the Lord says in the gospel. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Everyone that hath forsaken houses or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my name's sake shall receive an hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Let none of your possessions detain you. No solicitude for your family affairs since this land which you inhabit shut In, on all sides by the seas, and surrounded by the mountain peaks, is too narrow for your large population, nor does it abound in wealth, and it furnishes necessarily food enough for its cultivators. Hence it is that you murder one another, that you wage war, and that frequently you perish by mutual wounds. Let therefore hatred depart from among you, let your quarrels end, Let wars cease, and let all dissensions and controversies slumber. Enter upon the road to the holy sepulture. Rest that land from the wicked race, and subject it to yourselves. That land, which, as the scripture says, floweth with milk and honey, was given by God into the possession of the children of Israel. Jerusalem is the navel of the world. The land is fruitful above others, like another paradise of delights. This is the Redeemer of the human race, has made illustrious by his advent, has beautified by residence, has consecrated by suffering, has redeemed by death, has glorified by burial. This royal city, therefore, situated at the center of the world, is now held captive by his enemies, and is in subjection to those who not know God, to the worship of the heathens. She seeks therefore and desires to be liberated, and does not ease to implore you to come to her aid. From you especially, she asks succur, because, as we have already said, God has conferred upon you above all the nation's great glory in arms. Accordingly, undertake this journey for the remission of your sins, with the assurance of the imperishable glory of the kingdom of heaven. When Pope Urban had said these and very many similar things in his urban discourse. He so influenced to one purpose the desires of all who were present that they cried out, it is the will of God, it is the will of God. When the venerable Roman pontiff heard that, with eyes uplifted to heaven, he gave thanks to God and with his hand commanding silence said, most beloved brethren, today is manifest in you what the Lord says in the gospel. Where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Unless the Lord God had been present in your spirits, all of you would have not uttered the same cry. For although the cry issued from numerous mouths, yet the origin of the cry was one. Therefore I say to you that God, who implanted this in your breasts, has drawn in forth from you. Let this then be your war-crying combats, because this will is given to you by God. When an armed attack is made upon the enemy, let let this one cry be raised by all the soldiers of God. It is the will of God. It is the will of God. And we do not command or advise that the old or feeble or those unfit for bearing arms undertake this journey, nor ought women set out at all, without their husbands or brothers or legal guardians. For such are more of hindrance than aid, more of a burden than advantage. Let the rich aid the needy, and according to their wealth let them take with them experienced soldiers. The priests and clerks of any order are not to go without the consent of the bishop, for this journey would profit them nothing if they went without permission of these." Also, it is not fitting that laymen should enter upon the pilgrimage without the blessing of their priests. Whoever, therefore, shall determine upon this holy pilgrimage and shall make his vow to God to that effect and shall offer himself to him as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, shall wear the sign of the cross of the Lord on his forehead or in his breast, when truly having fulfilled his vow, be wishes to return let him place the cross on his back between his shoulders. Such, indeed by the twofold action, will fulfill the precept of the Lord, as he commands in the gospel, he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me.
0: So, how did you like the speech? Usually what we do is that we first, like, record the speech, we send them to each other, or basically the other person is listening to it before they even know what's going on. So I was listening to that and obviously I had no clue of like the specific time it was. I was like, whom are they fighting now? Was my first thought. (laughs) You told me it was like the medieval times. I was like, this can only be the crusades. And I find them so fascinating. And I always... To me, it's just so unimaginable to live in a time where basically the most powerful political person is a religious person yeah, and where church and religion determines every single thing you do. That is so, I don't know, so far from me. As you pointed towards at the end of your historical context, my understanding of Christianity is that at its core is harmony and love yeah, and loving your neighbor like yourself, this kind of thing. So to me, it always just doesn't make sense that basically one of the most violent, most death-causing war initiatives, which went on for decades, was instigated by the Christian church leader, so I just, I find it immensely interesting, so I was kind of happy that you brought this. Um, I was also interested at which point of the crusade, I didn't think it was going to be the Pope that sort of, you know, started it all off, Yeah, I just find this time fascinating, and I find it kind of sad that, especially in school, you don't really learn a lot about it. And obviously there are so many big historic events in the more recent past that it sort of falls under the table also in your like daily life history intake. Yeah. Um, so I'm just really happy that you brought it to the table.
1: Obviously I've heard
0: the word
1: crusades before. But that's about it. I've never learned anything about it in school. I don't get confronted it with it in my daily life. Where would I? Um, so I just found the speech, and I basically what I do when I look for speeches, I look at like like lists of interesting speeches, and I look at like figures that might stand out to me that either I know or that's a very popular speech that I think we should have. To should like talk about or at figures where I'm like who the heck is that or where I know it's gonna be a different view on things like this because we've never talked about or not really talked about church and and this kind of thing before and I didn't know that it was going to be the medieval time I had no idea what this was about and then I first read the speech and I was like what the heck is going on I have no clue what you're talking about but okay we're gonna go into it and when I started reading like gathering information i was so obsessed with like reading everything and i wanted to know every little detail which is why it was so hard for me to like keep my mouth shut when i <laughs> talked about this story <laughs> context i like could not stop to like put in more more knowledge that yeah. i just gathered what can we like draw from this speech or like more i think from the just have like the events itself For me, um, this is really, uh, it it really shocked me when I thought about how much violence happened there. And like you said, it just goes so contrary to my beliefs or Christian churches. It's kind of, for me, just the opposite.
0: Church has always been... uh, It's not really what the church is, but what the... faith is, that's what it goes against for me. Well, for me it goes more against what the church is, because for me
1: church was always about unity and being together, and this is kind of the complete opposite of what happens there, but also about the faith, because for me, the in the center of the, at least Protestant uh, Christian faith, I figured for me that the center of this belief is love and to, like you said, to be a loving community. And then have the Crusades be launched by the... Obviously, it wasn't really the Protestant church, but it was still the Christian church. It just goes so contrary. And I was so shocked by how much violence happened there. Not only at the Crusades itself in Jerusalem, but also with the anti-Jewish activities beforehand. Or the... um, the violence on the way when they're not even in enemy territory, but they just found people they weren't okay with. For me, it kind of, it got me thinking again that I just think it's, I know it's still a huge issue, especially in parts of the country like uh, Jerusalem and Israel and Palestine and all of the surrounding countries. Um, It's still an issue to have a different religion and there are so many people still fighting against each other because of religion. I believe that every faith is built on a level of love for one another. kind of reminded me that this is still on going on and that with all that's happening right now in the world we forget about stuff like this so easily yeah. or we tend to forget about it so easily and I think that is something very very sad and something we that also the news kind of have to work on. Obviously it's very important to inform people about COVID and stuff like that and everything that's happening right now and the new president in America and blah 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 blah, blah, blah everything that's happening, but it's this is also something that's happening but it's not recognized anymore because it's been going on for so long. And that, I think, is so heart-wrenching because there are so many people suffering from this still. And this just goes against what I think every faith stands for because I believe that every figure of God, no matter how you call it, this figure, wants to give love to its, like, its followers. And doesn't want to have pain or suffering go on in the world yeah and i mean
0: if you approach the religions from a purely historical point it always comes back to having a construct to a make sense of the world and what's happening with other things that couldn't be explained And B, uniting people in a region to make sure that they as a society had shared set of beliefs and values in order for this society to be able to live alongside each other and not fight. And that's at the core of every single religion, especially the big religions. Obviously, there is quite a difference between monotheistic so religions that have one god and um, polytheistic so religions that have more than one god but i mean when especially when we are in the western world i mean when you have um the jewish religion the christian religion and the muslim religion they all have one god and basically they that is what they come from like they all have sort of the same reasons for coming into existence. It's just weird and strange and it makes me mad sometimes when even today where we all pretend to be so smart and know so much and sort of kind of laugh at our ancestors for being in the dark, ha ha. It's still so common that people Talking stereotypes, especially when it comes to religions, that I feel like people are so quick to ignore the fact that people from different cultural backgrounds, different religious backgrounds, behave differently not because they want to be rude or because they intentionally offend somebody, but just because the beliefs and the sort of set behaviors that they have grown up with are just different. And that doesn't make it better or worse, it just makes it different. And in so many instances with conflicts today, maybe instead of sending an army there, try to understand the history and the culture and the religion first, and then we can talk it out back then i mean religion was in the center of everything yeah. sort of like today it's often like haha this nation doesn't have a democracy they don't know how things work it was like haha they're not christians or haha they're not muslims they don't know how things work to me yeah. it's just like if you want to believe in a religion do it and if you Do not. Don't do it. Exactly. I think this is a major point
1: in just general life, which you can apply in every second that you're interacting with other people. If uh, the topic of religion is very important to you, or is very important to some friends of you, or family, or it comes up in a, I don't know, in a talk with a stranger or whatever, just know that religion is a very subjective and a very private topic to many people. And I think it's also a very, like, personal and very delicate topic. You can do so much damage by only saying a few words about your opinion on religion. So really weigh your words when you talk about this, but also don't shy about talking about it because it's so important that you educate yourself about other religions, about even your own religion, in general, in your own religion, whether it be Christianity, Islam, or uh, the Jewish religion, there is or so Buddhism. Or what, whatever religion <laughs> you are, um, there are so many different like Ooh. subgroups, and they also differ from each other in some parts so majorly. I mean, taking the uh, the Christian Church, obviously we have the Protestants and the Catholics and the orth- Orthodox. Yeah. Like they differ from each other, and yeah. they have like. Obviously they have one ground belief that they all share, but they have like different values that are important to them. Maybe this is kind of a reminder to think about religion again. I know that in these times, either you're turning to religion and you're really like taking your hopes and stuff out of religion, or I feel like it's mostly either, or obviously you can be in the middle, or you're like, just think that there is no God, because why would this, all the this suffering happen if there was a God? Maybe you start to think about it again if you haven't for a while. It's something that obviously kind of follows you through your life, because even though it's not as in the medieval times that church is the center of everything, um, religion is still a big part of every, or like, most countries' systems. Duh.
0: Obviously. <laughs> I mean... Just to interject you, but what you're doing is making a really good point. I mean, if you grew up in Germany, our constitution is based on Christian beliefs and Christian values. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. So just uh, maybe start thinking about this again. Um, if you haven't, I'm thinking about if you don't want to, you don't have to. What I actually wanted to say is that um, you talked about we are always like blaming our ancestors of laughing at them that they were in the dark. Um, I think it's very important to point out Even though the religious wars Seem to be mostly in an area That is not the western European countries Or um, America Or you know That uh, hemisphere But there are so many Especially anti-Jewish activities Going on in the moment That went on In the last few months That is very 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 Shocking to me And especially like being a German and with all our history, it's very not understandable for me. And I'm very saddened to my core, to my heart. And um, if you don't know what I'm talking about or what I'm referring to, please go educate yourself. It's so important that we make the Jewish community feel seen and heard because it's not talked about. At all, I feel like right now, and it definitely needs to be talked about
0: in the end, we all have so much more in common than there's things that
1: Divide. differentiate
0: us, yeah, just meet people with respect, and if they believe in something or live in their life in a way that you seem struck by or that seems odd to you or that you don't know about just ask most people are more than happy to to share their reasons to explain things to you i promise you're a much happier person if if you live on the curious and kind side of life and um i think that would be our our call to action on this podcast be kind and be curious just be take this
1: as a um challenge or not, yeah, challenge kind of to widen your horizon or take every time you encounter a person who believes in different things than you as an opportunity to widen your horizon and acquire some knowledge that might help you during your continuing life. So I think with that, we're going to close it here. This is a very long episode, probably. Thank you for
0: sticking with us. Yeah, thank you for sticking with
1: (laughs) us. Uh, I hope I didn't uh, chew your ear off too much. I hope you kind of enjoyed it. And uh, we sparked interest in you and maybe a little bit of an inspiration. We don't know.
0: So, yeah. And, um, yeah, with that, we want to encourage you to keep reading, keep learning, and... Staying kind and curious. Bye See guys. Ya.